get to hear a message from your very own campus pastor. And I'm so proud of these incredible men of God. They not only lead the day-to-day operations at their campus, but they are also very gifted communicators of the gospel. So do me a favor, both campuses, stand on your feet, and let's show some love to your campus pastor as they come to speak today. Come on and give it up for them. How we doing, Go Church? Are you glad to be here? You can be seated, ma'am. What an incredible house with incredible vision. Just awesome all the way around. Maybe you don't know who I am. Uh, That's okay. My name is Pastor Ben. I'm the campus pastor here at our South Metro Atlanta location. And uh, I absolutely love being here. My wife and I have been here about 18 months. And it has been one of the fastest, most just enjoyable 18 months that we've been anywhere And so it's been awesome. This is an incredible church family. I hope you felt that love today. Maybe you don't know, but we're actually one church and we're in two locations. So we have our location here in Sharpsburg and then 702 miles north in Maryland, in Germantown, Maryland. We have our Germantown campus. Can you give it up for our Germantown campus? Come on, let them hear you all the way from down here in the south. But with that said, are you ready for the word? Say, I'm ready. ready. All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verse 6. And it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia, I'm going to say it that way, and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Check this out, verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let me give you a little background on what's going on. Paul is on his second missionary journey, and he wants to go back through Asia. He's already been through there. He's got friends there. They've planted churches there. There's a strong body of believers. And so Paul's desire is to go back and to see some friends. But God begins to stir something in his heart. God begins to to force him in another direction and is trying to get him to go to this area of Macedonia in northern Greece. And so Paul's stuck with this dilemma. And finally, he realizes that God is leading him. And so he says yes, and he ends up uh, in Macedonia. And there, while he's there, he experiences a really great success in ministry. Right off the bat, he meets a woman named Lydia who helps fund some of what he's doing. uh, And people just start coming to hear him in droves. Only problem is there's a young lady who comes and she's possessed by a spirit. She's a fortune teller. uh, And she's just shouting and interrupting every time that Paul speaks. And so Paul, he has enough, and he's like, look, that's it. In the name of Jesus, and he casts out this demon from her, uh, and all of a sudden, she is healed. But the only problem is, she can't tell fortunes anymore and doesn't have a desire. And how many of you know, when you start taking territory from the enemy, he's gonna get upset. And so her slave owners get together and they gather this crowd together and they go after to attack Paul and Silas. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 22. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. 
After they had severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed over and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And this is where it gets really good. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Then they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and you and your household. And then verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. I want to preach on this thought today. In the meantime, in the meantime. How about this? How about I pray for you and you pray for me? Does that sound good this morning? Uh, come on, I need a little bit more than that. Does that sound good this morning? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, be in this room. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts to what you have to say. God, pour your spirit out in this place and let us be attentive to what you have. Lord, whatever someone's needs are today, I pray that they would be met by your name and that you would get the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I think uh, if you're young in this room, you may not know this to be true, but if you're mature, and maybe, maybe you're really mature, and we're not going to call out an age number with that, right? Um, but maybe, maybe you're mature. You know this one phrase to be true, that in life, there are a lot of in the meantime moments. In life, along this journey, there's a lot of moments where you're stuck and you're waiting and you're trying to figure out what's next. In fact, if I had to describe an in the meantime moment, it would be uh, that you're not really where you want to be, but you're also not where you used to be either. You're kind of in this middle, in this space of uncertainty, you know, and I think uh, we get so focused on the end sometimes that we assume that the meantime is irrelevant or maybe the smallest part of the journey. But how many of you know the journey is the most important part, not necessarily the destination? What you learn along the way in life is really what builds up to the destination. And so many times we overlook the meantime. And I believe that in everyone's life, regardless of where you are right now in your faith and in your walk and maybe in your career, is everyone is in a season where you have two options, right? There's two doors to destiny and your next. There's two options in front of you to totally different places, to totally different choices, and really to totally different outcomes. I believe that in every next, there are two doors, yours and God's. Yours and God's. And let's talk about your door for just a minute. This door uh, is the only one that you can open at any point in time Whenever you want, however you want, you can open that door and step through it because it's your door and you got the key. Now, it would be real easy for me to paint this door out to be this evil, bad, like on fire uh, door. But the reality of it is, is that the enemy does not paint this door out to be such a huge, drastic change. In fact, he paints this door to be safe and comfortable. 
I would argue that it's only one degree separation maybe from God's door, but one degree over time, how many of you know it ends up you walk miles and miles away after repeatedly going through the opposite door? Your door is easy. Your door is predictable. Behind your door, you know that it's familiar. You know that, that, that it's, it's semi-safe on the other side of it. But it's not until repeated trips through it that we realize we're miles really from where God's called us to be. And then you have God's door. God's door, or the sacred door, if you will, is different in a lot of ways. It looks different. In fact, God's door, I would say, is the most unpredictable the most uncertain door of, that you have to choose from because you don't know what's on the other side. You're not sure where God's taken you. You just know that on the other side is him and his will. On the other side is the things that he has for you. And here's what makes this door frustrating is that this door only opens when God chooses to open it. It only opens when God sticks the key in and opens the door for you to step into it. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, it says, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. And read this part with me. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. You see, the sacred door is the difficult door because God's door requires your full trust that when he opens it, how he opens it and what's behind it when he opens it is all a part of his plan, all a part of his will for your life and all a part of this destiny that he's building. You know, the story is unique. In fact, uh, I want to point out four things in this story, this particular story in Acts that I believe relate to your life and to mine. And the first one is this, and that following God means choosing the doors he opens, not the doors you and I would open. Following God means I'm going to walk through what he has for me. I'm going to walk through the unpredictable. I'm going to walk into a life of faith. You know, going back to this story, uh, when Paul is faced with this dilemma, he just wants to go back to the familiar, right? He wants to go around his friends and his family. How many of you love like a good get together, right? Like my family, when we get together, we throw down, we eat. Like I want to be around them. I've known them my whole life. But God uh, is testing him. This is a test. And that's one truth about God that we, we, we avoid a little bit. That God actually tests those who profess to believe in him. In fact, James says it like this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. It produces patience. There's no doubt in my mind that when I read this story, okay, and when I hear your story and I think about my story, I know this one thing to be true, that who God chooses to bless, he chooses to test, amen? The blessing of God comes with the test. Before God can bless you, he's going to test you to see if you can handle the capacity of the blessing that he's about to pour out in your life. Before God puts his favor on Paul's next chapter, before God blesses this next journey, God wants to see if Paul will circumvent the will of his life. That Paul will hear God clearly say, don't go, and then turn around and go. 
That's what God is testing with him. You know, I find this interaction with God like really funny because sometimes uh, due to the incredible kids pastors that I had growing up, I still think about God in like VeggieTales form, right? <laughs> it's like a cartoon and, and that Paul is like the pickle and he's bouncing over and all of a sudden he hits this invisible wall. He can't go any further. Like that's the imagery that I see, right? And it, it, it's, it's easy to read that he wants to go back to Asia as some big bad thing, but there was nothing bad there. It wasn't an evil place, right? It's familiar, right? Like God's blocking it, not because it's bad, but because it's familiar. You know, I, I've got a wonderful little beagle and I noticed over the last few weeks that this dog is gaining weight like a machine. I, I like, I know what I'm feeding you. So something, something's not right. Uh, and then the other day, we were just in the house, and uh, I noticed something. My 19-month-old son, he uh, can't reach anything high in the pantry, but he can reach that dog food. And so my son, I walked into the room, right, and Judas got his hand in the dog food, and he just casts it like some seed. He's going, <laughs> just, and I said, don't do that. And he just looks at me and goes, throws it again. And meanwhile, the dog's like, you know, like trying to catch every kernel. That, that dog did not like him before, but my God, he has made a best friend, right? And so then, like every great parent, uh, we're like, how do we stop this madness? We put one of those contraptions over the handle. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, supposedly to keep children out. I think they just keep everyone out. They put it on the handle. You got to like two hands and unlock that thing. But we had to do that because my son keeps opening a door like that he's not supposed to go through, right? Asia was familiar. There's nothing wrong with it. Paul had been there, preached there, planted churches there. But Asia was safe and Asia was predictable. God, I'm learning this one thing about God is that his will for our life is so important that he'll do this, that, that God will deny your entry into a good thing so that you can walk into a God thing. God will, God will stop you from playing that safe thing so you can walk into his thing, so you can walk into a challenging thing, so you can walk into a thing that you have to hold his hand through. God, God was trying to see if Paul has the faith to fully trust him in an unfamiliar place. You see, you may not want to go to the familiar, unfamiliar, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of times that I don't, if you ask me, I don't want to just walk into something I don't know what's going to happen next. You may not want to, but here's what I know about unfamiliar places with God is that unfamiliar places with God are always more rewarding than familiar places without him. Walking into something that I don't know what it is, but I know who's walking with me is always better when I choose to go my route and God is not putting his hand of favor on that journey. Unfamiliar places, they're, they're, they're difficult. They're hard. They're dark. You don't know what's going next. You just have to fully trust. You know, I, I asked myself when I was doing these notes, what is the biggest hang up? Why, why do people always pick their door and not God's door and knowingly pick our door. Cause I've been there. I picked my door and I think the biggest hang up is relationships, right? It's who we know. 
who we know in life, who's, who's connected to us, who's speaking into our ear and who's around us in our group and our friends. You know, if you're not careful, you will allow those who are only familiar with your past and who you used to be keep you from your future. If you're not careful, those people who knew the old you and like the old you will keep you in the mediocre you and keep you from walking in to what God has for your life. We allow just people to keep us from walking in our destiny. You know, like we get this feeling like I just can't do it without them. But the truth of the matter is, as long as God's on your side, you can do anything. I was a youth pastor for a while and loved youth ministry, still do, still have a heart for youth pastors. And, uh, but without a doubt, there would always be a young man or a young girl who would go through this season of being on fire for God. I mean, they're, they're wanting to lead every ministry. And then out of the middle of nowhere, they're gone for like two months. They're like, man, where are they? They're not, they're not answering my phone. They're not, they're not answering any texts. They're not confirming on planning center. Like they're just not here. And uh, then they show back up. And you're like, hey, girl, what's up? I ain't seen you in a while. You know, how are you doing? And they're like, I'm sorry, you know, that I've been missing. <laughs> that's, the, that's the white girl move. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry I've been missing, but I met a boy, and he's incredible. He's awesome. He's everything that I would love to be with. And I'm like, oh, really, what's his name? And it's always some weird name, like Wrangler. Right? Like, Wrangler? What does my parents name him after some blue jeans? My gosh. I've seen Wrangler. He's on the clearance section at Walmart. Come on, girl. And, uh, like, they, they allow, like, just this relationship to take precedence. And hear me, to my single people in the room, whether you're young or you're old, before you go risking eternity on somebody you think loves you, you better test them first. You better get it right. Listen, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth walking away from the blessed life for that life. I'm going to tell you what. What I learned about those people is that people who are only connected to the old you, as soon as you reveal that your destiny is with God, they begin to untie that string one at a time. And the next thing you know, they're gone. There will always be people who loved who you used to be but not where you're going. Please stop trying to force people to travel into your future with you because I learned this one thing. Not everybody likes to travel. Come on. Not everybody's meant to travel where I'm going. Not everybody's going to be comfortable with the things God is pulling out of me and the things that I'm praying for. Not everybody's got that same level of faith, that same level of courage that I'm learning and I'm discovering. And so, boo-boo, if you can't go, that's fine. Stay you. Do you. I'm going to do me. The best thing you can do in that season is let God shut a door to a good thing and open the door to a God thing. And a shut door doesn't mean you won't get the dreams and the desires of your heart. A shut door just means you're in the meantime. When I look at this story, like the second thing that I see the correlation is this, is that, man, this is true, delays are difficult, right? You ever wanted to get somewhere so bad that you just, you just want to get there immediately. If you have children, then you understand this torture. If you've ever driven a youth van on a youth trip, you understand this particular part of hell that God somehow lets us wander through. Of, are we there yet? <laughs> oh, and then if you have a flat tire, it's always like, I want to go back. It was so much better back there where we were, right? And it's just, just this whining, right? But that's life. That's life. 
That's life. Because somewhere in the middle of the delay, we go, man, I wish I was back in the familiar place. This unfamiliar stuff, this is just too hard. God, put me back when I wasn't serving. Put me back when I wasn't leading the small group. This is hard. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. And here's what I'm learning is that some of us, we can't move on to what's next because we're still stuck in what just was and we're blind to what could be. We're still stuck because all we want to do is go back to what was, and we can't see that with God all things are possible. We can't see that with him is provision and favor and the things that we want for our life. I'm learning this, that it takes time to cultivate the dream that God put in my heart. It takes time. I don't know it all yet. You know, I come from the great state of North Carolina. Any North Carolinians in here? Woo, some crazy folk up in the house. Come on. North Carolina is famous for a lot of things like Krispy Kreme, Texas Pete, and Pepsi. But one thing you may not know is that Christmas trees are a big deal in North Carolina. In fact, most of the ones that have been in the White House for decades or at Rockefeller Center, they all come from the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, I didn't know this, but you know that that Christmas tree about five foot, six foot that you cut down uh, and you put in your house, do you know that that takes 10 years to grow? So that tells me that some guy didn't wake up in January or February and go, you know what? I want to sell Christmas trees this year. I'm going to plant them. We're going to get ready, right? No, it took 10 years of cultivating that and cultivating. Like that almost rips my heart out of working that long and then seeing some kid come by with a hacksaw and just, you know, could it be that the door that in your life that's not open yet is because you're still in a season of planting and cultivating? Could it be that the reason why you're stuck in this delay and in this moment has, has everything to do with that this is the season where God is drawing something out of you and cultivating your dream? I got a word for somebody who feels stuck in your life. Whether you realize it or not, the space you're in is not wasted time. It's not a wasted room, it's a weight room. It's a chance for you to lift, to get stronger, to run the race. You don't just get out of this chair and go run a 5K. You have to train. You have to train. And I feel like God is trying to tell you that this season of delay is not really a season of delay. It's a season of development. Where are my people that have had to spend a few months or years praying for the same thing over and over and over again, and then one day seeing it come to pass, you guys got to get around some of us that ain't got no faith. You got to get around somebody who's, who's prayed through the night and prayed for their sons and daughters to come home. And finally, after 18 years, they came home. You need that level of faith and consistency in your life. Because God does things in delay that he never does while you're moving. Right? You know you can't pair your phone with like the Bluetooth on your car while it's moving. Right? It's, it's, it's a safety hazard. Because if you try to do that while you're driving, you're going to end up in the front of a McDonald's somewhere. You know, like right through the glass. Could it be that God's not, not allowing you to do certain things running and on the fly and in this expedited dream because God is developing something in you in this time and in this season? You see, you're really not in the wrong place. You're just in the meantime. The third thing I see is this, is that, man, there's power in your prison moments. There's power in those dark seasons. There's power in the seasons where you feel stuck and without 
hope. You know, the story, uh, Paul, he gets thrown into prison. Get this, he gets thrown into prison for doing what God told him to do. That is counter theology to a lot of things you hear. Like he, he got thrown in prison for preaching the gospel and for doing what God moved in his heart to do. That's got to be disappointing, you know, and, and what I love about the story is you don't read that Paul goes, man, God, you made a mistake, man. I just got beat by a bunch of rods. I'm in, I'm not just in prison, but I'm in inner prison. Like I'm down in here. Like I did all that for you and this is what you do for me because I've learned this one thing about mature and immature believers. And that's this is that immature believer always wonders, can I trust God in this next season? Can I trust God in this bad report? Can I trust God in this moment? But a mature believer will say, can God really trust me? Can God trust that I won't back out? Can God trust that I'll sign up to lead a group and continually lead a group? Can God trust that I I will get involved and stay involved? Can God trust me with that? Because that's two totally different thought processes. Perhaps the reason why your dream has not come to fruition has absolutely nothing to do with God's trustworthiness, but your faithfulness. Can God trust you not to quit in the prison season? You see, prison required Paul to trust in God's anointing and his mission on his life, not in his giftings. We have a lot of people uh, who, who have gifting. They've got a gifting. If I pulled this whole room, there are going to be things that you're going to do better than me and I'm going to do better than you. There's some car people in here. There's some woodworking people in here. There's some grammar people in here. Forgive me for this message, by the way. And uh, like everyone has a gifting, right? Everyone's got something in their heart. But it's not the gifting that releases Paul from prison. It's the anointing that's on Paul's life. There's a huge difference between gifting and anointing, right? And a lot of people out there got gifts. A lot of people out there have things that they do well. And people have come to me, and I don't mean this in a proud way in any way, shape, or form, but if you've ever spoken at any point in time, usually somebody comes to you, hopefully, and says, hey, you did a really great job, man. You're a good preacher, or you're a good teacher, or you're a good you know, instructor if you're out in the secular world. Yeah, I don't want to be a, just a good preacher. I want to be an anointed preacher, Right? Because my Bible says in Isaiah chapter 10 that it's the anointing that breaks a yoke, not woodworking, not good mechanics, not a great voice, but it's the anointing of God. It's God's hand of endorsement on your life. It's God's presence and his power that can break a curse, that can break addiction, that can stop you from making a big mistake. It's the anointing that does the work. And there are many gifted people out there in the world, but I know, I know one thing, that the Bible says that I am of a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood, not because of my gifting, but because of his anointing and his favor. You know, gifted people, I feel like people that only have a gift, they, they live in kind of a torturous world, if I'm going to be honest with you, because people always love you as long as your gift is good. As long as you can play wide receiver, we'll love you. As long as you can play great music, we'll love you. But get old and we'll forget about you in a minute, you know. Break your knee and we'll forget about you in a minute. Like, it's this torturous world. And you can blame a lot of that on social media because we've built up a generation of people. And we can't say kids anymore because there's plenty of adults that do it too. They're worried about the likes and they're worried about the messaging. And they're worried about all this stuff. And how come I can't get noticed? 
It doesn't matter when you're anointed. If you're in a prison or you're in a room full of presidents, God's favor will be evident on you. Come on. See, prison was never a wasted space in your life. Prison was just the meantime. The fourth thing that I'm going to say, and I'm going to close with this thought, is God's door always ends up in the right place, but not the predictable one. As much as Paul was a scholar, and he was, as much as he was a gifted speaker and a gifted communicator and uh, this, this kind of all-star for the gospel, there's no way that Paul saw that coming. There's no way that Paul saw that he was going to be beaten with rods and thrown into prison. And there's also no way that Paul saw when he was in prison that the next set of doors that he would walk through would be the jailer's house to reach his family. As much as we like to admit, we really don't know what's next, and that's okay. Because I read that the door that God opened for Paul's physical freedom, for Paul to get out of where he was, the chains that he dropped, when I read that and I read what happens next, I realize it's like that the prison was never really about Paul. It was about the jailer. Think about it. This guy lives practically in the jail. He works morning to night. He only goes home to see his family. He's not out during the day when Paul's preaching. He's working weird hours and he's all by himself and he's with a bunch of people who are criminals, right? Can you imagine what his outlook on life is? I'm gonna argue this theory that Paul and Silas, that God allowed them to be in prison because the jailer needed to hear the gospel. And that's, could that be the reason why you're delayed? Could that be the reason why you are where you are? Because where you are is someone who needs to hear the gospel. Where you are in your, in your little grouping and your job and your family and all of that crisis and all of that mess, what if you are where you are because you're the only link to the gospel for those people? What if all the things you've been fighting in your spirit and the things you've been fighting in your body, my God, I have fought off about every possible thing in my life and I've come out victorious as a, as a healed person and I keep thinking, Lord, why do you keep doing this to me? Because someone needs to hear that I can do it. God is absolutely passionate about rescuing people. That's what I love about this church is that's our job is to go, to go out and to reach them. God is so passionate about reaching the lost that God took his only son and he sent him down to earth and he allowed him to be brutally beaten and nailed to a tree so that you and I could have life. And if God is willing to send his only son to die the worst possible death, what makes you think he won't put you in a prison season to reach somebody? What makes you think you won't go through difficult times? What makes you think that? Because I know one thing about difficult times is on the other side of that door that God had for me is Jesus standing there and he's saying, come my child, come on. It might be dark, but I'm gonna walk you through the valley. I'm gonna walk you up the mountain. I'm gonna walk you out of disease. I'm gonna walk you out of a broken issue and a problem. I'm going to be there the whole way. You see, that's the difference between your door and God's is that on the other side of the, your door is you. But on the other side of God's door is both of you. 
to the business leader in the room, to the entrepreneur, to the, the hopeful person looking for a promotion. What if God is trying to move you up the corporate ladder, move your success up, not because it has anything to do with you getting to buy a vacation home and you getting to experience the success of someone who's prominent. What if God is trying to send you up the ladder because at the top of the ladder is a people group that no one wants to reach. And if you'll look at it that way and say, God, even in the, even in the promotion, God, show me who it is. God, show me who it is. Because every chapter of your life, promotion or demotion, is a mission field. Yeah. On the other side of God's door are a lot of things. On the other side of God's door is certainly more, more than you can imagine. The Bible says more than you can ask, more than you could think of. But on the other side of God's door are more souls. On the other side of God's door is another you, another Rachel, another Tom, another Ben, another Trey. Like somewhere there's somebody who's drowning in prison and needs to know that if they want to get out, all they have to do is lift their voice to the Lord and say, Jesus, enter my heart. And God will rip the doors off of any kind of chain, any kind of curse, any kind of issue, any kind of place where you find yourself bound up and locked up. On the other side of God's door is Jesus. And I'm learning one thing about life, man. I don't want to take another step without him. I want you to think on this question. What's keeping you from walking through God's door? You can scratch out the what and put who. Who? What? What's keeping you from, from, from walking into the door that you know is going to require faith, that's going to be hard, that's going to be difficult? What's keeping you from being a small group leader? What's keeping you from being a missionary? What's keeping you from reaching the CEOs and the corporate officers? What's keeping you from being kind and talking to the cashier at Walmart in the world's longest line? What's keeping you from doing those things? Because I guarantee you, if you'll remove that situation, if you'll remove the what, if you'll remove the who, that the door you walk through will be everything that God ever had for you. If you would have told me 10 years ago when I got out of college what I would be doing, this is what I would be doing, I would tell you, you're talking about someone else's dream because I was going to travel the world, right? I was going to preach to the nations. I was going to do all these things. Like I, I was looking at it because I just wanted a mic in my hand. Like I wanted those things. But God knew that before I could ever stand on a platform like this and preach to these people that I had to go through a season of development. I had to remove some things off of my life. In a moment, they're going to sing and some of our staff are going to come out and they're going to close this out. But right now, I want you to take a minute. Just think on this question. What, who is keeping me from walking through the door that God has for me? and has for my future.